You're listening to Why Try, the podcast. Linda Weston is former executive director of Oregon Entrepreneurs Network and currently has her own business, Reporto, helping entrepreneurs build their own businesses, whether by offering mentorship or helping them make valuable connections needed to succeed in business. As you might guess, she's accumulated a lot of wisdom to share, and I hope you'll enjoy our conversation. Okay, so just to open up, you've had or you have like an interesting career. Can you talk a little bit about what you used to do and how that led to what you're doing now? Sure. I uh, I've had three really kind of distinct and separate careers. I spent 17 years in the travel industry. For 15 of those, I was uh, in a leadership role at a destination marketing organization um, in Eugene, Oregon. I was recruited out of there to be the startup general manager for a women's pro basketball team for a league that was just launching. And from there, I became the executive director at the Oregon Entrepreneurs Network, and I was there for 17 years. They sound very different, but what they all had in common was um, um, the opportunity to make a difference somehow. So when you work in the travel industry, you know that when you bring visitors to a community, you're helping with economic development by uh, the economic impact of visitors on a community and the jobs that get created as a result of that. With basketball, it was about creating opportunity for women in professional sports and creating role models for both little girls and little boys in terms of uh, professional athletes that give back to the community, are highly educated, um, and really motivated to, to do something good. With OEN, it was about helping companies grow and um, add jobs and thereby, again, creating impact in the community by uh, by the jobs they create. Do you want to talk a little bit more about what you're doing right now and your uh, and Reporto? Sure. I retired from um, OEN at the end of December 2016, and I'm not the kind of person who would just sort of retire and watch daytime television. I would be very bored by that. So I launched a small consulting practice. I work um, mostly with executive coaching uh, for CEOs or parts of leadership teams in both for-profit and nonprofit companies. And I'm also an advisor to four students in the University of Oregon's uh, executive MBA program, working with them on their capstone projects, which they must successfully complete to actually get their MBA. So uh, it sounds like you have like a lot of purpose is something that's really important to you. Uh, what, what gives you purpose in your current work? Uh, It's still that feeling that you can make a difference. It feels really good when I'm able to work with one of my coaching clients and have them feel more confident, more empowered, uh, help them solve challenges or problems that they're currently facing. How did you develop to a point where you could, where you really got good at this stuff? Like, what was the experience like at OEN that uh, let you develop to a point where you could really add a lot of value in this area? Well, one of the things I liked most about my work at OEN was that opportunity to interact uh, in a very at a very personal level with entrepreneurs. I was often 
um, meeting with them and talking with them about the challenges they were facing, they would they would come to me for help and input um, in a more of a like a mentorship role, really. Um, and sometimes it's about uh, simply connecting them to some resources they need. And after 17 years at OEN, I have an incredibly broad network of people that I can call on for help. Um, but it's it's really a lot of what I was doing at OEN, talking to entrepreneurs about their business model, what kind of research they had done, you know, what's the problem they're trying to solve? How are they trying to solve it? What makes their solution better than someone else's? Who would the customer be? Um, is the customer willing to pay for it? How much are they willing to pay for it? All of that rolls into the creation and launch or, or the growth of a company. Okay. And, and in terms of choosing who you work with, because it seems like you would probably have, uh, being retired, you have probably quite a bit of leeway to kind of pick and choose. What are some of the traits or like, what are, what, what types of people are your favorite people to work with? You know, what I'm looking for, I guess, is probably I would go back to what I liked at OEM, working with folks who are very passionate about what they're doing, who I believe uh, have the tools to be successful and who are coachable, those those folks who want to get better. They want to improve at what they do, and they just need some guidance. And sometimes it's they need somebody they can talk to confidentially that it will be under a cone of silence. They may be um, struggling with leadership in their organization. They may be riddled with self-doubt. They may need help with their communication style. They may need help interacting with their board of directors. And it, it feels really good to be able to empower them to do that kind of work successfully. Yeah, I bet. So you've spent, you know, a ton of time with founders. I think in our previous conversation, you estimated you probably sat through like thousands of business plans or pitches and met at least like hundreds of entrepreneurs. What do you think the most successful entrepreneurs have in common? Can you kind of uh, dig into that a little bit more? You know, it's it's interesting. They they do have some common traits. One is that um, they are not risk. They 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 manage risk well. They're not risk averse. They're willing to gamble and to, to sort of take that leap of faith. The best ones are coachable. You know, they take feedback, and if they need to make a pivot, they do that. They are very creative thinkers. They see a problem and they figure out how to solve it. They are often brilliant. They often, um, how do I want to say this? They don't, they don't color inside the lines. They think about things differently and they see things differently than a lot of other people. They are absolutely passionate about what they're doing. They're, they're all in. Uh, they eat, sleep, live, and breathe it. And the, the best ones are also coachable. They're willing to listen to feedback. Yeah, interesting. Is there a certain amount of uh, weirdness that you like to look for in sizing people up? <laughs> I don't know that I would call it weirdness, but it, it has been fascinating to look at entrepreneurs over uh, the years and see that there really are a lot of them who do not color inside the lines. And I, I'm saying that not at all in any disparaging way. It's just that they they think about things differently. 
I think that just makes such a great pe- group of people to uh, be able to surround yourself with and spend spend your life working with. That's definitely one of the things I'm most excited about with this podcast is that you get to talk to people who they just do things a little differently. They think differently. It's really good. So what what are some of the, what do you see as some of the most dangerous mistakes that founders make? Uh, sometimes, it, you know, it, it's kind of all over the map. I would say that um, not having all their ducks in a row before they seek outside investment um, it's that age old, you only get one chance to make a first impression. Um, they make mistakes in hiring. Uh, they, and, and I've done that one myself, you know, you, you hire somebody because they have the skill set you need immediately and you don't give thought to whether or not they're going to fit in with the team or be a good team member or, um, fit in with a culture and then you have to go back and fix that and that that can be a real challenge yeah that in terms of having all their ducks in a row what does that look like specifically well it it has to do with being confident have you know have you done enough research to really understand what the market is and how much people will pay for it um often you'll talk to someone when you ask them well what kind of research have you done about this you'll get an answer along the lines of, well, I, I asked everybody in my family at Thanksgiving dinner, or I went to the farmer's market and just talked to people there. Well, that's in fact doing a little bit of research, but that's not the kind of research you really need to do to know whether an idea is viable. You really have to dig in and find out whether um, the problem you're solving, whether people really want that solution, Um, Sometimes, especially in technology, engineers will think a project is really cool, but nobody except engineers think it's cool. And so there's not a huge market for it. Um, You you have to do your homework and be ready and really understand how big the market is, what small percentage of it you could hope to get, um, and what people would pay for it, and really work on developing the business model. What are some things that you've noticed that have really been helpful in identifying an opportunity? Um, I, I don't know that I could speak necessarily to that. What I would say is that often the best entrepreneurs, the most successful entrepreneurs, they have seen a problem in their own life. Maybe, um, maybe they're a software developer, for instance, and they wish there was a, some kind of tool to do a specific thing. And there isn't, and so they develop that tool. Maybe they are uh, a foodie, and they are looking for a specific kind of food. Maybe maybe they are not from the U.S., they're from another country, and they can't find one of their favorite foods from home here, and so they decide to make it themselves and start selling it. Maybe they are an outdoor enthusiast, and... Um, while they have been climbing or hiking or whatever, they figure out that, you know, every time I do X, Y, Z, I have this particular problem and they create or develop something to solve that particular problem, whether it's an article of clothing or some kind of mechanical gear or something like that. But they, they see a problem and figure out how to solve it. It seems like it's a huge advantage in starting a company if you can set something up where people are willing to pay you in advance. 
Is that something that you see very, very often, or is that just kind of like a holy grail thing that like people talk about in books, but never actually happens? um, It doesn't happen very often. It does happen. If you're talking about will people pay for something, um, well, well, let me clarify. Are you talking about something on like an Indiegogo campaign or a Kickstarter campaign, or are you talking about companies that secure investment when they're still pre-revenue? Um. yeah, I guess probably more like the Indiegogo thing. Like, hypothetically, if you were designing T-shirts, if you could get people uh, to pay for your T-shirts before you have to, like, produce any of them as, like, a sim- simple Well, uh, obviously, that happens a lot, but it certainly does not come without risk. You've got to be able to produce it, or you're going to have a lot of people angry at you and potentially a lot of bad press and lawsuits. And, you know, there have been a number of Kickstarter campaigns that have gone down that path. Uh, You know, they secured really significant funding on Kickstarter and then were not able to deliver in a timely fashion and uh, got a really negative press and even some lawsuits. Um, And that's not to say that that is that can still be a good path. For people to go down to fund their project or their product or their company. You just need to be sure that you can actually deliver. I'm curious kind of on your own perspective of how you see yourself on um, in, term, in kind of like the entrepreneurial like spectrum here because uh, like do you see yourself as um, particularly like uh, willing to like embrace risk or are you, do you find that you're sometimes more risk averse in trying to like counsel people about being really careful with their risk? You know, there was a time in my life when I was very risk averse. Um, I was a single parent with a child and I was not in a position to take a lot of risk. Um, However, when I was recruited out of Eugene to come up to Portland and be the general manager for that startup pro basketball team, that was a huge risk. You know, new sports leagues often fail, especially new sports leagues for women. Um, I And I really did have to start it from scratch. I did everything that other kinds of entrepreneurs do. I worked probably 80 to 100 hours a week. Um, I constantly had to raise money. I had to quickly hire people who knew how to do the things that I didn't know how to do. Um at one point, I put $10,000 worth of Oregonian advertising on my personal credit card with no guarantee I would get it back. Um, there were occasions when the league asked me not to cash my paycheck so that the players and the front office staff could cash theirs. Um, that was pretty risky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, I learned a lot from it, and it was great preparation for being the CEO at OEN, I really understood and empathized with entrepreneurs and what they were going through as they were trying to launch and grow a company. I'd been there. And although we were very successful here in Portland, the league ultimately was not successful and the league failed, which was also a great lesson. Sometimes you are doing everything you can to make something successful, but um, luck is as important as talent. Uh, You know, uh, entrepreneurs who failed and went under during the recession, entrepreneurs who failed and went under after 9-11, 
entrepreneurs who failed and went under during the dot-com bust. Um, you know, timing is everything in, in that sense. And so sometimes you can work really hard and be doing a great job and it doesn't make any difference. But you can't let that stop you from doing it again. Yeah, definitely. It seems like uh, if nothing else, you get a really good learning experience out of it, right? Absolutely. And and the really good entrepreneurs, it's, it's not unusual at all to see really successful entrepreneurs also have one or two spectacular failures. Uh, the key is they don't make those same mistakes a second time. <laughs> right. Uh, are there any lessons you think people learn in their first like three years of creating and running a business that you don't think they would learn in other career tracks? Ooh, that's, that's a hard one. Um, you know, you, you really do, hopefully, you learn some lessons about leadership and what it takes to create a team to help you make the business successful. Um, you know, the, if you are the leader and you are launching a business, the buck stops with you. You don't get to go home at 5 o'clock and not think about the business. It's, it's 24-7. And I'm not sure that folks learn that in other career tracks. If you are the founder or the leader of a company or a business, the buck really does stop with you and other people's livelihood depend on you and how hard you work and how, how strategic you are. And if you are an employee in some other kind of business, you don't have that kind of responsibility. Um, that that's a lot of responsibility to be willing to uh, willing to shoulder, and and it's not for everybody. There are a lot of people who who just simply are not interested in that, and there's nothing wrong with feeling that way. It's just some people are geared for it, and some people are not. Yeah, that, that's good because that's actually a, that segues next to another thing I wanted to ask. Why do you think some people are entrepreneurial and other people aren't? I think um, there are some people who are just born entrepreneurs. They're the kids who were going door to door uh, selling eggs from the chicken coop in their backyard, or they're selling newspapers, or they've got the lemonade stand on the corner, or they open up a little mini computer repair business when they're in high school. They're, they're just entrepreneurial by nature. Um, others are just problem solvers. They're constantly solving problems, and, and that's a pretty good path to entrepreneurship. Um, and not all entrepreneurship is about starting a for-profit company. There are a lot of, especially young people out there today, looking at very entrepreneurial ways to solve social problems or, um, you know, working in nonprofits that are dealing with everything from education and housing to uh, social justice. Yeah, what, what do you think leads to a business being really successful? Is there anything that you notice in that, any trends? Well, I think there's a variety of things, and it's not always about the entrepreneur themselves. It maybe it's a market that is exploding. Maybe the time is absolutely perfect for something. If they had started it two years earlier or two years later, they would have missed the window of opportunity. So those things play into it as well, um, but the, the leader, the founder also has to be that passionate, driven person who really is a strategic thinker and is always thinking five or ten moves ahead. Yeah, it's, it seems like 
like energy is a theme that keeps coming up, even if not explicitly. It seems like a lot of people that I talk to have um, like, like founders of companies or have just this kind of unlimited store of energy. Like I think about that and it's like kind of a it's something that um, is like a challenge for me because I feel like I, I wish I had more of that energy, but uh, I, I, I don't think I do compared to some people. Do you think that it's possible to like compensate for that? Like if you don't have necessarily like the energy, like are there other things you can do or are you just kind of out of luck? Well, maybe, maybe the key is, and I'm not an expert in this by, by any means, but maybe it's partnering with someone, being a co-founder, part of a founding team where other people have skill sets that you don't necessarily have and you have skill sets that they don't have. You know, think of an entrepreneurial team the same way you would think about a football team or a basketball team. You know, there's only one quarterback on the field at a time, right? But that quarterback also needs a great offensive line to protect him. He needs running backs. He needs uh, receivers. Um, They can't all be good at the same thing. They each have different skill sets, but together they function like a well-oiled machine. And it's the same thing really in any kind of a team. You need to have a group of people who have different skill sets that mesh well. Yeah. What other advice would you have for in terms of hiring and, and building that team? Um, the best advice I can give would be to really think about how a person fits into the team. Are they a team player? Will they do whatever it takes to help reach the common goal. Um, They need to be a good fit uh, culturally. You know, are you all on the same page? Are you all going the same direction? And surrounding yourself with people who think exactly the way you do, I think, is rarely a good idea. You need to have differing perspectives and differing ideas. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be all on the same page or working towards that common goal. Um, but people should have different skill sets. Yeah. So, for instance, in in an entrepreneurial company, maybe maybe on a small leadership team or a small founding team, there's someone who's really really good at writing computer code, um, and another team member is really good at operations and keeping 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 the wheels on on the truck making sure the truck is headed the right direction and that all the deliverables happen when they need to happen. Someone else may be really good at networking and raising money. Um, So thinking about your team as bringing different skill sets to the table is really important. Yeah, this is uh, kind of related. I don't remember if, but I was curious, how has being a woman shaped your experience and how do you think the situation for women has changed over time? Uh. That's a really, that is also a really good question. Um, I would say that uh, being a woman has been both a help and a hindrance in, in my career. When I took over as the CEO of the Destination Ma- Management Organization, I ran, uh, it was the first time there had ever been a woman in charge. When I was hired at OEN, I was almost always the only woman in the room. That slowly began to change, and one of the things of which I am the most proud is the way that uh, OEN looked when I left. 
about half of our board of directors were women. We had a lot of um, women speakers and women leading sessions, uh, women presenters at our events. We created a program to help develop women angel investors and did such a good job with it, they integrated into all of the other angel organizations and we could actually sunset that, that particular group of angels. We're seeing far more women entrepreneurs than we saw even 10 years ago, and I am delighted by that. We're seeing more... Um, more local companies, not only with women founders, but with women board members. Um, there, are, there are new funds being formed to invest specifically into women-owned companies. And, and I would say that's also true of minorities. It's not just women. It's, it's also people of color. Um, we're seeing more and more entrepreneurs, more and more investors, and that doesn't mean we don't have a long way to go, but we've we've come quite a ways in the last 10 to 15 years. Yeah, what do you attribute that to? Um, I think that people have been very intentional about it, and uh, certainly at OEN, we were absolutely intentional about that. Uh, when we would look, for instance, at putting uh, a panel together, it's, all right, let's make sure that there are women on the panel. Let's make sure there are people of color on the panel. Um, same thing with our board of directors. Um, and, and I think other organizations are doing exactly that. Uh, what used to be called PDC and is now Prosper Portland was very intentional about that in terms of their programs to support entrepreneurs. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. It's really encouraging to see that happening. Um, do you think there's anything, um, any kind of like special advice or like encouragement or any like particular message that you think would be especially helpful uh, for women in particular, considering entrepreneurship in terms of either giving them that extra push or giving them like whatever they need to uh, be become as successful as they can. I would say the the number one thing is don't be afraid to ask for help. Seek out organizations that can help you, whether that's an organization like OEN, uh, Women in Tech. Um, a lot of um, food entrepreneurs are women seeking out other women in that space. Um, there's a new program that just launched a few weeks or a few months ago, rather, called Accelerate, and it is a program uh, very specifically structured to coach and mentor women entrepreneurs and to provide them access to capital. Um, get out there and network. Meet those. Meet those people. Yeah, good advice. And never ever be. Yeah, never ever be afraid to ask for help. You know, ask somebody for a twenty-minute coffee meeting. In we are very lucky here in the Portland area that. People are very accessible and they are very willing to help and to give back. Um, so, you know, the worst that can happen is someone would say, no, I don't have time right now, but you're far more likely to, to get a meeting with someone or to be able to meet them and network with them at events. There, uh, there are all kinds of meetups locally. There are probably two or three a night. Um, start exploring those and see where the people you need to meet might be. Yeah, that's a good 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 advice for anyone, uh, not just women. I don't. 
Absolutely. And this is this is maybe like more of a controversial thing. Do you notice like any? And you don't have to like get into it either. But do you notice any like differences in like uh, how women approach entrepreneurship as opposed to like uh, how men typically do? Is there such thing as typical even in this space? Well, I don't. I don't know that it's typical. What I do see is that women tend to be more collaborative. Certainly, women investors tend to be more open to what uh, might be a, a non-sort of mainstream kind of company to invest in, and they're far more collaborative when they um, when they start asking the entrepreneur questions. Okay, that's interesting. So, kind of moving into a. a different area. What does success look like to you personally? Uh, For me, I always feel the most successful when I've been able to connect an entrepreneur to when I've been able to open a door for them to something or someone that helps them. To me, that's success. That's great. Yeah, you, you seem like you have a pretty extensive network. What have you found works particularly well for you in connecting with people? Um, it's being willing to talk to people and I think more importantly, being willing to listen to them, finding out what it is that, um, that they want, what is it that they're good at, what is it that they would like to give back. Uh, maybe they've never, maybe they've never volunteered before or they've never, um, participated in an organization where there was an opportunity to give back. So probing a little bit about that. Listening is a big deal. It's all about it's all about relationships. Yeah, definitely. For me, anyway, there's nothing to make me like a person like feeling like they understand me and are, and are trying to hear what I'm saying. And I think it, I think other people sure. are probably the same way. Yeah, I think that's human yeah, nature. I think so. Um, another thing, so kind of a different different area. So success. What what do you think? Do you worry about uh, failure at all? Because I mean, it seems like there's uh, kind of a almost like a pro failure movement within like the startup community, like the fail fast, fail early kind of mentality. How do you, how do you think about failure in terms of business and entrepreneurship? So in, in terms of businesses, yeah, I, I think this whole sort of fail fast is, is probably the right thing. We've, we've probably all seen companies that just struggle along and struggle along and they're never going to grow and they're never going to get where they want to get. You know, would the people involved be better off to fail more quickly and move on? And maybe the next venture they start would be more successful. So I think there is something to that. Uh, for myself, I'm not worried about failure. I'm, I'm still doing uh, the same. You know, I've retired and I'm, I'm able to do a lot of the same things I was doing at OEN, but doing it for myself on my own as opposed to doing it through an organization. So I don't really worry about failure for myself at this point and at this age. Okay. One thing before I forget, in terms of failing fast, how do people actually do that? Uh, you know, I am, I am not an expert in it, but I would say that, um, you know, Set certain deadlines by which you will meet benchmarks and accomplish specific things. And if you're not able to do that in the time allotted and it looks like it might take you a great deal more time, perhaps that's failing fast. But again, let me qualify that. I am not an expert in that model. Yeah, I was just curious. 
uh, kind of what form that takes. So I think I, I, I hear like the headline a lot or like the slogan, uh-huh. but it seems like I haven't yet read, read a good book about it to figure out how I actually uh, can fail sooner. What do you see in the future for yourself and Reporto? Um, I would like to continue doing this the way I'm doing it now. I, I feel like I kept all the things I liked the best, which was helping entrepreneurs without having to worry about running an organization and fundraising and all of the, the HR and, and all of that kind of stuff. I have a much more flexibility in my life to allow my uh, time for travel, time with family. Um, so life is good. I like it this way. Yeah, that's great. Um, so kind of moving into uh, my final few questions. Uh, if you could go back, say, uh, 20 years, let's say, and give yourself an extra hour a day, how would you spend that hour? Uh, I would get more exercise and I would sleep more. That's easy. <laughs> All right. I'd say probably 19 out of 20 people have said uh, something other than work. So, uh, yeah. You, yeah, you've kept that streak going pretty strong here. <laughs> Not surprised by that. Yeah. What What are some of your favorite books? It It could be business books. It could be fiction. Uh, anything that you've enjoyed or found useful? You know, um, my my confession is that I'm not a big reader of business books. Um, I am a voracious reader, but I read to escape, um, and so that's a very different kind of reading than than business books. Uh, I'm having a total mind freeze on the book that I was going to uh, recommend. It, it's the one by Colson Whitehead about the Underground Railroad. Uh, Underground Railroad is the name of it, and the author is Colson Whitehead. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Me too. Thank you for asking. You can find Linda and her business at reportopdx.com. That's R-A-P-P-O-R-T-O-P-D-X.com. Link to that in the show notes. If you like this conversation and want to hear more like it, make sure you're subscribed to Why Try in your podcast app. I'd also like to ask for your help in leaving a review, which will help others discover Why Try. If you want to leave a review in Apple Podcasts, here's how you do it. You open up your podcast app and click icon that says library down there at the bottom. Then at the top of your screen, click on shows and scroll down to the bottom where you see the bright red Why Try logo. And if you keep scrolling down once you've clicked on that, you'll see an area called ratings and reviews. You tap the stars to leave a rating and then click write a review, which is a little bit below that. And then just write what you think of the show. Any feedback, good or bad, will really help me make the show better. And I'd really appreciate that. Whether that's conversations and topics that you really enjoyed or things that I do that really bug you. I'd like to hear it so that I can capitalize on what's working and fix what isn't. And special thanks to a user named Stockmonger. As you can tell, uh, you can make up your own username so you don't have to list your own identity. Uh, Stockmonger says, I've always wondered what motivates people to achieve their goals. What makes some people go-getters? Why do some people make such great sacrifices when the achievement is not certain? This podcast addresses great questions and calls on interesting guests for answers. Highly recommended for anyone who loves to talk business. So uh, thanks thanks for the review, uh, Stockmonger. I'm glad that you appreciate what I'm going for and that it sounds like we have some similar interests. So if you want to send me an email sometime to talk about it or uh, maybe see if you're doing an episode together, yeah, reach out and I'd, I'd love to hear from you in person. Music for this podcast is by Cambrian Explosion, the explorers who in 1543 discovered the lost fountain of youth, as is evident in their continued youthful appearance and affect. 
You can find their ancient melodies on Apple iTunes, Spotify, and cepdx.pancamp.com. Thanks for listening.